Are we almost there? No? No, no, no? There? Yeah, there we are. Very good. Wow, just a little bit of technical switching here, over there and across the other side. Welcome this morning. Glad to have you here with us. <sighs> we are talking about, if you haven't figured out already, making relationships work because relationships require a lot of work. Have you noticed that? Maybe you've been thinking about some this morning as we've asked you to draw a picture of yourself and uh, perhaps come up with an idea about an argument and you've been thinking, what part did I play in that and how can I resolve it and what part did the other person play in it? Making relationships work requires us to make relationships work. Well, last Monday I went to a football game filled with expectation. Um, yeah, that's enough, Jeff. And um, you see, our percentage hadn't been up there for, for years, and uh, our percentage hadn't been up there for years uh, back until we'd won a flag in the 60s. And in fact, this was our chance to move ahead, so I actually went with expectation. I actually bought in, became a little bit attached, and so I turned up to the game. And uh, there it was in the first two quarters I was cheering away. Uh, but then partway through the third quarter, my cheering turned into criticism. I go and mate, get a kick, why don't you? And then uh, by, <laughs> partway, further way through the third quarter, uh, my criticism became uh, cynicism. <laughs> and, and then my cynicism by the fourth, fourth quarter just simply became silence. And as I was thinking about my behaviour afterwards, as I was walking away, uh, what struck me most of all is that I reacted in that way almost breathlessly. Isn't it true in our relationships that it's so easy to move from cheering someone on to criticizing, becoming cynical, and the worst of all, silence? And we do it almost breathlessly, don't we? So easy to pull people down, so easy to tear people apart, so easy to do those things rather than build them up. Making relationships work requires us to make relationships work. What I'd like you to do with your sheet right now is just pause and have a look at it. Your little stick figure with all the names. Because I believe that God's here with us this morning and what I'd like to do, whether you're just first time here or you've been here for a long time at New Community, I just want to pause and pray. Because I believe God wants to speak to us this morning about relationships, your relationships, my relationships. And there might be a sense in which God will shift us this morning from one place to the next in them. So I'm going to pray and invite you to pray as well for the person behind you, in front of you, to the left and to your right, and for yourself. God might speak to you. So God, here in this place right now, we just pause. We ask that you might speak to us about these really tricky area of relationships. I want to pray for the person behind me. I want to pray for the person in front of me, to the left and to the right. And I want to pray and ask that you might speak even to me this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to follow on with me this morning, I'm just going to turn to a passage in the Bible that addresses what I think is really important about making relationships work. And if you don't have a Bible with you, or if you'd like to follow on a Bible app, you can do so. And just look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. You see, there's a man who's written this, um, this, if you like, the words that we're going to unpack this morning. And he's written them to a group of people who are living in modern-day Turkey. 
and they come from such a diverse group of people. You, it, it's staggering. Uh, there's people from Jewish ethnicity and there's people from Greco-Roman ethnicity. There's men and women. There's young and old. There's those who are still slaves in houses. And, and there are those who are free. And he's writing to them, uh, talking to them about Jesus because uh, Jesus has transformed his life. In fact, Paul was once an unbeliever and he met Jesus on a Damascus Road experience and he became a true believer and he was going around the empire delivering a message that there is a king, his name's Jesus, and that he can radically transform your life and bring you at home in peace with God. And if you just surrender your life to him, he will actually make a transforming difference. And he's in prison because of his convictions. And he's writing to a group of followers of such diverse characteristics. And he's going to say, I want, there's four things I want you to stop. There's three things I want you to start. And there's one thing I want you to do if we put our title on it this morning to make relationships work. And if you want to follow with it, just flip over to the back of the page now and you can write some things in as well. See, we've got it all planned out this morning. And so Paul doesn't pull, well, he, he, he pulls punches, all right, but he's cut straight to the chase. And he says, you want to make relationships work? Uh, There's four things you must stop doing. And he says this, put away lies, then each of you speak the truth with your neighbor. Then he says, uh, because you are members of one another. Then he says, be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on you while you're angry and don't leave a loophole for the devil. And then he goes and says these two extra things. The thief shouldn't steal any longer, but should rather get on with some honest manual work so as to be able to share with people in need. And don't let any unwholesome words escape from your lips. Instead, say whatever is good and will be useful in building up people so that you will give grace to those who listen. Don't you love this? By Paul's so frank sort of talk, isn't it? What I want you to do to make relationships work is stop lying, stop holding on to anger, stop stealing and and stop trash talking each other. Now, is that practical kind of stuff this morning? (laughs) Imagine if you had that on at your home, right? And you had, they're the four rules. Or maybe in your workplace, you said, here's the four things I want you to, no one's allowed to lie, no one's allowed to steal, no one's allowed to hold on to stuff and get super angry, and no one's allowed to trash talk one another. Would that make your workplace, your school, your university a better place to be? I think it would. So then he, he sort of unpacks them. So he says, the first thing I want you to do is stop lying to one another. Stop lying to one another. Why? Because when you lie and you don't tell the truth and you're not kind of deceptive with each other, it erodes the foundations of any relationship because every single relationship is based on trust. And if you don't trust someone, there is nothing. Remember the first time you, maybe you're a parent here and the first time your child lies to you and you quit back to them, which might have that a little bit lower. We might quit back to them that, uh, you know what, if, if you lie to me, I don't know where I stand with you and, and, and there is nothing we can base our relationships on at all if there's lies. You see, the problem with lies is that when you start lying, you have to keep lying to cover up the lies. It's like water running under a house that just slowly erodes away the foundations and soon the house will come crashing down. He says, I want you to stop lying. Because relationships don't work that way. And he presses a little bit deeper and he says, some of you, when you came to put your confidence and trust in Jesus, he said, you became part of a body. You became part of a family. You're now like brothers and sisters. So that if you lie to each other, it's as though you are lying to yourself. No relationships can work that way. 
So he says, I want you to stop lying. <laughs> Second thing he says, I want you to stop or put off is, I want you to stop holding on to anger. <laughs> Anyone here have any experience with anger in their life? You see, the problem with anger, or not the, not the problem with anger, is we get angry about all different kinds of things, don't we? I mean, we watch something on television and we get angry. Someone doesn't do something they should do, you get a little angry. Um, and that is just a normal, if you like, emotional response. However, what he goes on and presses into, he says, if you hold on to your anger, will you just become angry? Have you ever met someone who is just angry? It's, it's as though you walk around them with eggshells, don't you? See, someone who's just angry all the time, they're unpredictable, they are unsafe. You can't build relationships around that stuff. It's the difference, Paul says, between being a Vesuvius and a Krakatoa. Krakatoa in Indonesia is never blown at stack. Why? Because it just lets the steam out. Whereas a Vesuvius, well, we all know what happened at AD 79 and Pompeii. It blew its stack and was destructive in its impact. And that's, he says, what happens when people hold on to anger. He says, what's more, it's as though the devil can get a foothold in your life and it can grow and manifest in itself in a way that if you don't deal with it, well, you'll be punching walls and you'll be kicking stuff and you'll just be venting for whoever's around about you and that is just destructive. He says, what I want you to do is, well, let it go. Be aware of your emotions. Deal with your anger because it's so easy to. And then he says, the third thing I want you to put off is I want you to put off that stealing stuff. You know, uh, just stop stealing. I mean, this is really practical stuff, isn't it? You know, just, just stop it. Some of you were thieves and then you came to know Jesus and he radically transformed your life. Just stop the stealing thing, all right? <laughs> Why? Well, have you ever had someone steal from you? Remember the first time someone stole from me? I was in university. I brought this leather jacket from Florence, Italy, all the way home. And I thought I was just as cool as all get out, you know. <laughs> and I used to wear this leather jacket everywhere. And I went to a party one night and I put my jacket down. And at the end of the night, I went to collect my jacket and the, ja the jacket was gone. And so I remember running out of the venue and, and seeing someone in the distance wearing my Top Gun jacket, you know, with the... And, and, and I remember calling out the top of my voice, hey, stop that. They turned around. I ran up to them. I said, what are you doing stealing my... And I realized it was one of the guys from the year below us in university. And he looked at me and I looked at him and he said, oh, man, if I had have known it was you, I wouldn't have stolen it. I said, mate, that's not the point. The point is you stole it. So the fact is when you steal something from someone else, they never know who you are, where you are, what's... So he says, well, actually, what I want you to do is work well with your hands and contribute in a positive way so that you can actually start to give back to other people. You see, if you steal from people, your hands become calloused and it becomes so easy and eventually your heart becomes calloused. And the only problem with that is that you will live in the shadows of your life. You live in the shadow land, always wondering, has someone seen, has someone think, someone? He says, put it away. Fourth thing he says is, I, I want you to don't let any unwholesome words escape from your lips. Instead, say whatever is good to be useful, building up people so that you'll give grace to those who listen. He says, I want you to stop trash talking others. 
You see, when you trash talk others, it's usually got to do with a sewer, sex, or some other female body talk. And when you talk that way about other people, it actually drags them down. And I know everyone else talks that way, and I know you think it's just a word, and I know you don't think it means anything, but if it's said about you, it's entirely different, isn't it? I know this to be so true because you still remember the time when someone stripped you down bare with the words that they said and it still haunts you for today. Isn't that true? The words we say can be wholesome and lift people up or they can actually tear people down so easily. It's the difference between having language that lifts like this or language that lifts downs like that. And I tell you what, you notice the difference in your school, in your university, in your workplace, in your home, wherever it may be. So he says, you know what? Don't buy into that stuff. What I want you to do is be known for someone who actually lifts themselves up in the words they use. So they're gracious and they're good and they're, people like being around you because you're so uplifting. Four things to put away. You want to make relationships work? And then Paul pauses for a moment and he goes beneath the line and this is what he says. This is kind of gets a little tricky. Not tricky, but it's a little bit deeper. He says, and don't disappoint God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit who put God's mark on you to identify you on the day of freedom. What's he saying here? You see, someone who comes to know Jesus, who, who puts their trusting obedience in him, he says he actually welcomes you home as though you never left with God. He, he washes you clean of wrong and sin and stuff that you're not uh, uh, proud of in your life. And he pours his spirit, his actually life force into you, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the first experiences people have of God's spirit is that their mind starts to get a little ordered. <laughs> I had someone once say to me, my shopping experience changed when I became a Christian. <laughs> I said, how's that? He said, well, I started to adopt the posture of you first in the line. You know those, you know those people in the shopping line? You go ahead. You go ahead. And you just stand behind them going, well, you just hurry up and go through the line so I can get, you know. Or maybe those other people who I've heard them say, actually, when I put my confidence in Jesus, it was though the pieces of the puzzle of my life started to come together a little bit. There was clarity. Some other people said I began to notice other people around about me. It was like there was this love pouring from me. And Paul went around the countryside, he went around the empire saying, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God loves you, he is alive. And if you would place your trust in him, you would have an ever-present hope and you will experience his love and his life in you. You will find peace with him and discover a new meaning for life. You'll see the world with different eyes. He says, when you do that, it's as though he reaches in, he pours his spirit into you and, and it's like he takes a, a letter and someone who wrote in the ancient times would seal it up and put some wax on top of it. They'd get their insignia and they'd stamp it in on top and they'd lift it back out again and it would leave their mark. And he says, on the day of freedom, that is the day when heaven and earth come together when Jesus returns, what's going to happen is that, it, that all people are going to be gathered around and, and God's going to be able to look out into the vast array and numbers of people and see those who have got his mark on them, if you like, his spirit. They've been aligning their lives here with the world to come and that day will exhibit freedom, freedom from injustice, freedom from pain, freedom from suffering. No more lying, cheating, stealing or robbing. There'll be freedom. And that's good. I wonder if you're here this morning and you're just hearing about Jesus for the first time. I want you to know that there's a God who loves you. wants to have a relationship with you. I wonder if you're here this morning and you've been following God for many years. But you know there's stuff in your life that if you're honest with yourself, disappoints him. 
you've shut that door and he's asking you to open it but you just want to stick your heels in but you won't move forward with him until you do he's gentle and gracious and will forgive if you open it and then Paul he presses on a little bit further and he says here's three things Three things I want you to start doing. He said, instead, be kind to one another. Cherish tender feelings for each other. Forgive one another just as God forgave you in Jesus. I love these words. I love these words. We don't talk about them often enough in our relationships. Have you ever met someone who is just kind? Kind. You see, kind people, I've discovered, are kind the kind people are the ones who look beyond themselves and they, if they see something happening or there's something wrong, what they do is they go, can I help? They don't need to be asked or a nudged. They just do it. They're kind. I was jogging along the footpath the other day down at Dandenong Creek and normally cyclists come past at 30 or 40 kilometres an hour and they want to kill you. Or they come at night time with their strobe lights on, big strobe lights, and they want to blind you. And um, then what I find is that when I was jogging along, a cyclist came past gently and, and he said, I have a good run, mate. I thought, that's really kind. <laughs> that is really kind. One, because I was not running, I was jogging. <laughs> and the secondly is that it's just so easy, isn't it? But yet so hard. Paul says, I want you to be kind to one another. And then I love this next phrase, cherish tender feelings. You see, someone who cherishes tender feelings has to make the time to go, how are they feeling? And I want to see the good in someone else. And I want to kind of embrace that and hold on to that. And I'm going to cherish those. Even if someone, that same person lets me down, I choose to cherish the tender feelings I have for them. Because... There's a lot of worth in who they are. And then he says, the third thing what I want you to do is to put on is I want you to forgive one another because God, he forgives you. Is anyone here that's never done any wrong to anyone else? Can you just put your hand up now because I want to interview you. No one. You see, it's so easy, isn't it, to say it's all your fault and do no house cleaning of our own. Isn't it true? He says, hey, God forgave you, didn't he? Well, why don't you pass that on to other people? Be forgiving. Four things to put off, three things to put on, and one thing we all must do. Paul goes on and he says this, so you should be imitators of God like dear children and conduct yourselves in love just as the Messiah Jesus loved us and gave himself for us a sweet smelling offering and sacrifice to God. A few weeks ago I attended a wedding. In fact, I watched a wedding. Apparently two people fell in love and we all turned up. <laughs> and then we discovered about love. There is power in love. 
When Bishop Curry was interviewed afterwards and he was asked the question, what do you think is the most profound issue facing our world today? He said, oh, without any doubt, it's unbridled selfishness. Human beings have an unbridled selfishness wired into them and that is the biggest issue that confounds our world today. Hmm. He said, but, but Jesus is someone who reflects the total opposite of that. He, he has this idea of self-giving love. I thought, what a profound idea is that our world describes love usually in terms of permissive love. That is, you need to satisfy your own desires and wants. And once you've satisfied your own desires and wants in your own life, then you might look to someone else. Permissive love says everything's okay to do as long as it's helpful and pleasing to you and there's nothing wrong at all. So radically different to the love which I discover in Jesus. You see, his kind of love is sacrificial love. The kind of sacrificial love that would give his life, his, his body for someone and something else, for a world that needs transforming. And his love is one of redemptive love. And when you encounter that redemptive love, that sacrificial love, it changes you. You see, God wants to accept you right where you are, but he doesn't want to leave you right there. God loves you just as you are, but he doesn't want to leave you just as you are. He wants to transform you, destroy that selfishness, if you like, and pour into your life and your body and your mind a love that knows no bounds. The sacrificial love. Four things we must put off, three things that we must put on, and one thing, one thing, one thing we all need is love to fuel our bodies. Craig, can I just invite you up here, mate? As we draw our time to an end, I want to tell you two stories and then leave you some space to talk to God. I've been involved in a wellbeing committee meeting um, and group as part of shaping the city of Maroondah. Two weeks ago, I was in one of the wellbeing meetings and one of the, one of the participants who's there for representing all different areas of Maroondah, he works in the disability services area. We're talking about how to be kind and continually working in the lives of others. And he said, it's really difficult where I work because I do that stuff and I come back the next day and they keep repeating the same behavior and the same behavior and the same behavior and it wears you out. <laughs> Someone else chirped in from the other side and said, well, really, you should look more introspectively and figure out what's going on for you and triggering your buttons. That's how you'll be able to respond. I thought, that's good. We can respond to each other's biddings and we can short-circuit loopings, but there is something else we need as human beings to make relationships work. My first response when he reached out and asked, said that to the group, I thought, what do I do? What do I do when that happens in my life? And the answer was, I worship. I, I, I spend time each day when I wake up in the morning time, the first five minutes, most important, God, who am I going to serve today, myself or you? Would you fill me up with your love, your grace, your ability to do in my life what I cannot do for myself? I worship. 
You see, the way worship works is that human beings are made to worship and when we actually turn our eyes to God and we speak to Him, when we honour Him, when we value Him, when we bring Him into our lives, when we open up our hearts to Him, we, we are transformed. It's like a tree that's searching in its roots for nourishment and as it sinks down and feeds off that nourishment, the leaves are shinier, the fruit is tastier. It's what's going on beneath. So I wonder this morning, do you need God's love afresh in you? Then worship Him. Open up your heart to Him. And then finally this. There was once a couple. They were in the room and they were having an argument. And the minister says, you're having an argument. And they said, we are. He said, well, do this for me. Stand in each corner. Go to your corners. And he turned the light on in the room and he said, see the light up there? They said, yes. He said, what I want you to do is get as close to the light as you can physically. So they did. They set their eyes on the light and they moved towards it. And well, you know, they were both standing below it with their head up, looking at the light. He says, that's how you make relationships work. Stop looking at one another and pointing out what you don't have and looking at yourself and thinking how spectacular you are. Turn your eyes and gaze to a God who loves. And he says to followers of Jesus, you're supposed to be that light too. So as Cindy comes and sings, I'd ask you, Do you need a love that only God can give? Do you need a handover area of your life that you have held on to and held on to and you are angry as all get out? And you need to just surrender. And that's what you need to do. And I'd invite you to open up and pray and give it over and ask God to work his work in your relationships. Four things you must put on, three things you must put on, and one, this one thing we must do. Open up our hearts to our maker. And in this space, would you respond to God and make determination about what you'll do this week in your own workspaces, in this church family, in your home?